welcome to the Not So Newlywed Show. I have some contestants here today that I'd love to introduce. First, we have Scott and Trina Rambo. Scott, Trina, how long have you been married? We have been married for 28 years, coming up on 29 in November. 28 years. Wow. Kenny, Valerie? 22 years. It'll be 23 next month. 23 next month. Okay, awesome. And three Sorry, kids three later. Well, then y'all should know each other pretty well, right? Absolutely. Yes. Well, just keep in mind, the winner gets bragging rights. The loser gets counseling. Okay? So just like the plan. All right, guys, we've got some questions that uh, we have asked you beforehand. These are questions that uh, you answered based on what you thought your spouse would answer. Scott, what is the one household chore your wife would say that you do better than she does? Clean the kitchen and the dishes. You do that well. Trina? But one thing I cannot compare to you, and that's folding the sheets. She is a master sheet folder. Do you fold the fitted sheets? Yes. Like he folds them like in a perfect square. That's amazing. I just wad them up into a ball, throw them in the closet. Kenny, yard work. We got a point here. My yard man is hot. Yes. Literally. I cut the grass without my shirt on. Oh, nice. <laughs> Too far. Too far. Uh, <laughs> Too far. Kenny? Yes, I'm ready. What is one thing you don't have in your house, but you wish you did? Every day. I wish I had a swimming pool. Swimming pool. Swimming pool. Yes. Look at that. Yeah. It's going to pretend that wasn't awkward. <laughs> I wish I had a live-in housekeeper and chef. Yes. Katrina. <laughs> yes. Which one of you brought up the topic of marriage first? He did. Scott did. Me. All right. I had to strike while the iron was hot. The iron was hot. And I struck. And I struck. <laughs> right. Okay. Yay. Scott did. Okay. Valerie, you answer this one. Okay. I said Kenny Dean, and I was 15. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Me. That's right. Yay. Wow. That's... Here's the final question. Valerie. Yes. How many dates? Did the two of you go on before the first kiss? Okay. Well, I'm embarrassed because it wasn't near enough. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go with that answer? Especially nope. considering how oh, well, 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 <laughs> about three months worth. <laughs> Not enough. About three months worth. Oh, that's funny. You say that because you have a daughter. Okay, Trina. Um, I guessed five. I said too many. <laughs> well, that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, thanks for joining us. I'll see you next time. I'm your host, Joel Owens. Good night. Well, that's our show.
That's it. That's all we got. Cut. Well, that's our show. We'll see you next time. Good night. I'm Joel. <laughs> <laughs>
Anytime, all the time, one more time, daytime, nighttime, it doesn't matter. It, you know, time, it just, we're ready. We're ready to go at any time, right? And, and, and men are much more visual. And women are much more emotional and, and relational and when it comes to those kind of things. It's a, one study said that a man will, will have a sexual thought every 60 seconds. Now, understand what that's saying. It's not saying that every minute of every day a man has a sexual thought. It's saying when you add up the number of minutes over the lifetime of a man and the sec number of minutes he's had a sexual thought, that it averages out to about one every 60 seconds. That's just a lot different than ladies. We approach this thing differently. We're more interested by and large. Now, when I'm saying these things today, they're generalities, okay? They apply to the masses. I understand that every rule has an exception to the rule. It's like I, I was... Uh, I gave a talk something like this one time, and a guy comes up afterwards and says, I disagree with what you talked about today. You said that men are more you know, sexually driven than women, and men want sex more than women, and that's not true. In my house, my wife is more sexually driven than I am. She wants sex way more than I do. And I'm just sitting there listening to him and going, I am struggling to sympathize with you right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not, I hear you, but you know, I'm not getting there, you know. I understand these are generalities, okay? They apply to the masses. They don't apply to every situation. Um, so, so, but when it comes to sex, we're just different. We approach it differently. We, we're, we're different in a lot of different ways related to it. And so Solomon begins talking about this, begins writing about this. And he, and he touches on this thing that it's, it's emotional. It starts way before the actual act of physical intimacy. And here's what he says. He starts in uh, Song of Solomon chapter 4 starting in verse 1, and he says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. So he's looking at it. Obviously, this is their wedding night or their honeymoon. She still is wearing a veil. And notice, guys, where, she, where he starts. He starts with her eyes. And he says, Your eyes are so beautiful. He makes a comparison to doves, but he just talks about how beautiful your eyes are. And then he keeps moving. He says this, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. <clears throat> That's going to need a little translation. <laughs> Lest some of you guys try to use that tonight with your wife. It may not come across the same way. What he's saying is, in that particular culture, Jewish ladies would wear their hair up more times than not. And so the fact that, and they, especially in public, and so the fact that she has now let her hair down, he's saying there's something beautiful about you that you've let your hair down. There's something very sensual about you and sexual about you. And we know that's true, that, you know, movies and ads, they all touch on those kind of things that, you know, when they're trying to create this sensuality or sexuality, they'll show women with their hair down. Um, you know, I, in my life, I prefer my wife, Trina, to have longer hair. That's just me. I, see that, I feel like there's something sensual and sexual about longer hair. I don't know, not everybody's that way, but it is for me. And so, so that's what he's saying, saying your hair, you've let it down and you're so beautiful. And, and evidently, you know, comparing that to a herd of goats coming down off a mountain was very flattering in that day. I, I don't understand it, but, but you, you might want to find a different comparison in your own life. But he's just saying something about your hair is very beautiful and sensual when you've let it down. He keeps going. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each one 
has its twin, not one of them is alone. He's saying, you've got all your teeth and they're clean. That's a big deal in a day when they didn't have toothbrushes and dental floss. You understand what I'm saying? And listen, coming from Alabama, I understand this compliment, okay? I get it. You know, Alabama's where they invented the toothbrush, right? Because everywhere else would have been a teeth brush, but it's just singular. It's just a t- but anyway, he's saying basically your hair is down, your teeth are clean, you got a full mouth of them, your, your breath is fresh. I'm loving every bit of it. He's just going down and he's talking about every little detail of who she is. And he's starting with her face. He keeps going. He says this. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. <laughs> he, he, he's basically saying, your cheeks are rosy. He's, he's pointing out all the features of her face, your lips, your cheeks. You're just so, so beautiful. And he just keeps working his way down her body. And he says this, he says, your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. Now, again, that needs a little translation, okay? But I want you to think about what he's saying here. He's, he's saying to a, a lady in a particular day and age where ladies were mistreated, were abused, were, were, were basically like an afterthought. And he's saying, you carry yourself, you carry your head held up high. In such a way that shows that you have a level of self-confidence about who you are. And he says, I love that about you. The way you're carrying yourself, I love that about you. See, what he's doing, he's connecting with her emotionally before he ever tries to engage her physically. He's trying to connect in a way that says, I love you. You are secure and safe in this relationship. And I love, I love every part of you. I, I'm not just looking at you as some means of fulfilling my desires. I'm looking at you as a person. And I love every detail of who you are. And, and basically, here's, he, he gives a, there's a couple of rules of thumb here. As we think about um, God designed sex to be emotional. The first one is this. If you want to engage physically, connect emotionally. If you want to really engage physically, sexually, then you need to start by connecting emotionally. That sexual expression, the the physical intimacy that you can experience inside of the marriage is enhanced so much when we make the effort to connect emotionally, when we communicate our love and acceptance and security to our spouse. That that connection, man, it just changes everything. You know, I've listened to ladies, I've heard ladies say things like, what they view as, as being sexy and a turn-on. And guys, it, it's, it's something different than we think, I can promise you. You know, a lady says, I, th- I think it's so sexy the way my husband takes care of our children. He helps them with their homework. He bathes them, gets them in bed. He prays with them. That's so sexy to me. Another lady says, it's such a turn-on to me to see my husband doing the dishes and cleaning the kitchen after dinner. Or another lady says, I get so excited when I see my husband doing the laundry. See, that's a lot different than what we're thinking, right? 
Because as guys, I know what we think. We, we, we think I'm stepping out of the shower, I'm going to drop my towel and go, I'm too sexy for my towel. You know, we, we think that's going to be it. That's gonna, she's just going to go, oh, and she's like, you know, she walks away. Because again, we're visual, right? And, and, and it doesn't take much to turn us on. I mean, we're there in a second, whereas she is much more emotional and relational. And so she wants to connect in that way to enhance anything that, that, you know, we want to do physically. That's why all the little things that we do are so important. You know, like sending a text in the middle of the day, just saying, I'm just thinking about you. I think you're beautiful. Just wanted you to know. Those things are huge. Just, just uh, when you get yourself away from any distractions and you actively listen to the conversation. I don't have my phone, don't have the TV on, I don't have a, I'm listening to what you have to say. Those things are huge. It communicates something. The way we just take time out and focus in on who she is. And, and, and ladies, the same is true. The way we focus in on, the, on, on him. Those things, when we connect in, in an emotional way, it just enhances everything about the physical aspect of intimacy. Here's another rule of thumb. And it's, first, it's going to sound a little odd and maybe a little counterintuitive, but trust me on this. If you want to engage physically, connect spiritually. If you want to engage physically, connect spiritually. In other words, for those of us who are Christ followers, and even if, if, if you're just, if you'd say, man, I'm just, I just want to be a God follower. I don't know much about Jesus, but I, I want to be more like what God would have for my life to be. Here's what you need to see, and I'll show you a little diagram. When you and, you and your spouse, the, the closer you draw toward God, the closer you draw toward each other by default. That, it, that if God is at the center of, of, of your life, the more you, you get closer to God, the, by default, the, the more you draw closer to each other. And so doing spiritual things together, attending church together, serving together, uh, going to a small group together, praying together, talking about things you've learned in a small group or things you've learned in a, your, your Bible study devotion together, those things are, are huge because that spiritual connection really does open up the door to a lot of the romance that we want. It opens the door to a lot of the physical intimacy that we desire. So the stronger connection we make emotionally and spiritually, the better the connection will be, the better we'll be able to engage physically. All right? God designed sex to be emotional. But secondly, God designed sex to be stimulating and satisfying. God designed it to be stimulating and satisfying. See, it, God isn't oblivious to the fact that, that sexual intimacy... It's, it's, it's maybe the most stimulating and satisfying experience a human being will ever experience. It is the most mind-blowing experience a human being will ever have. God is not oblivious to that fact. In fact, God designed it that way. He wanted that, that expression of, and that, that closeness that you feel and just what you feel in that moment, the stimulation and the satisfaction. He wanted humanity to experience that. He created certain parts of the body just to feel that. So God was intent on doing those kinds of things. Here's what Solomon says. He keeps going. He says this, he says, verse 5. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Now he's talking about her breast. And here's what he's saying. 
He's going to, I'm going to talk both to guys and then to ladies, all right? Guys, when it comes to that physical intimacy, that sexual intimacy, our approach matters, okay? Guys, your approach really does matter. Just think with me, okay? If you're approaching two fawns that are grazing among the lilies, <laughs> you're going to approach gently, softly, tenderly. Because if you go diving in, oh, I'm going to get me some fawns. Well, those fawns are going to hightail it, and you won't see them for a while, okay? They're going to run back into cover, which probably means a brassiere, and you're not going to see them for weeks, all right? You got to be careful and gentle and, and soft and tender. Your approach really does matter, and your wife wants you to approach her with tenderness, with gentleness, not rushing in, grabbing some fawns, all right? Ladies, your desire matters. Your desire matters. To us, the approach is irrelevant. Just approach. We don't care. You can approach any way you want. We'll take any of it. The approach doesn't matter to us. Just the fact that you desire. And so you communicating your desire, your approach to us, you know, approach and attractiveness, it doesn't matter. I mean, like, let's be honest. Now, every guy thinks things look better in silk and satin than they do in old flannel and old t-shirts, okay? They're just telling you. But listen, don't get me wrong, we'll take the flannel and t-shirt. We'll take a burlap sack. It doesn't really matter. Every once in a while, here's a, here's a thought, every once in a while, I, I guarantee you, every husband in here feels like your best suit is your birthday suit. Just come on to bed with that, all right? Every guy will be all right with that. But the approach is not so much what matters. It's the desire that you have for your husband that you would communicate those desires, that you would let him. I'm telling you, when you tell him that you desire him in that way, it does something for him that, that I can't really fully explain to you. But there are occasions when Trina has sent me a text, and she's like, you and me tonight, bring your A game. And I'm telling you, it does a world of, of, like a world of difference in my... In fact, she sent me a text... She's not in here, is she? I don't think she is. <laughs> she sent me a text. Tell him, this is a couple weeks ago. She was talking about something that I was wearing. And she said, you sure are a sexy thing and put all these little emojis or whatever. You make me tingle all over. And I typed back, well, dang. <laughs> are you intentionally trying to keep me from being focused today? And I typed a few more things about how much I appreciated her saying those things. I'm telling you, when I get a text or a note like that, I feel invincible. I feel like I can take on any problem the world throws at me. You know, it's like, bring it on. Okay, I know what's going down tonight. Bring it on. I'm good. I'm good to go. Whatever. That's fine. I'm going. I know. I, I can take it on. There's something that, that happens within a man when you desire him in that way. It's huge. It's huge. And listen, I understand. I understand the longer you've been married, I get it. Things, things just happen, right? I mean, things begin to, um, you know, things begin to, to get in busyness, hectic pace of life, get in the way of intimacy. 
I understand that. And, and there are times, listen, you have to plan to be intimate. Set it on the calendar when you're going to be intimate. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that is so romantic. Yo, that just makes me all hot and bothered thinking, okay, Sunday at 10 p.m., I'll meet you in the bedroom. I get it. I understand. It doesn't sound very romantic. But here's what I know. I know that like anything else in life, our hectic lives and our busy pace of life, things just get drowned out. And, and intimacy and, and within our relationship, that's one of those things that just gets pushed aside, pushed aside, pushed aside. And if you don't plan for it, it may not ever happen. And you can still be fun and creative even in the planning for it. Sunday is fun day, Monday morning madness, two for Tuesdays, wham, bam, Wednesday, throw down Thursday, freaky Friday. When you get to Saturday, you probably need a Sabbath, especially if you've gone through all those days, all right, just a day of rest, all right, but you can enjoy, even in the planning, you can enjoy it. Be creative, have fun, but don't miss out on that because God designed that aspect of who we are as human beings. He designed sex to be satisfying and stimulating. Solomon goes on, he says this, he says, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. He's saying all night long, and I have no idea what the mountain of myrrh and hill of incense is. It sounds good to me. I don't know what it means. But he's saying all night long, this is so pleasurable. I want us to spend all every night, all night long, just this way, experiencing each other in this way. Now, here's what I know. I know if, if the sexual intimacy in our marriage is going to stay strong and it's going to be stimulating and satisfying, then it will have to include a word, and this word is trust. There has to be trust. See, your marriage... In the marriage bed, it has to be a safe place. See, God designed it in such a way that we, uh, we get more out of it the more vulnerable and open we can be with our, with our spouse. But that vulnerability and that openness really only comes if I trust this relationship. And that, that bedroom, that sexual side, it has to be a safe place. It has to be a place where there's trust. In fact, Solomon, he, he, he writes about her in, in verse 7. He says this. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Was there a flaw? Maybe. But what he's saying is that I don't see those. Your beauty has covered all of those up. And listen, if there's ever going, if, if the marriage bed is ever going to be a safe place, it is no room, there's no room for you to make disrespectful or disparaging comments about your spouse's body. We, we naturally start getting more insecure about our bodies as we get older. And so to know that your spouse thinks something like that, it just ruins any kind of intimacy. There's no place for it. It has to be complete trust and safety. And the reality is, when you got married, if you got married in your 20s, well, that's about as good as it's going to get. All right? Because at 25, your, your body's a lot different when you get to 45. And 55 and 65, okay? So just take a snapshot of the 20s because that was good. That's about as good as it's going to be, all right? Because 
Aging happens to everyone. Everything begins changing. Gravity begins to take over. Things start happening. You begin losing uh, the hormones in your body that, that your body naturally secretes. It helps with, you know, muscle building, muscle tone, and fat reduction. You know, for guys, once they get in their past their 20s, that stuff starts getting depleted fast. And it happens with ladies too. It's the reason, you know, your, your, your husband no longer has that six-pack. It's kind of become more of a party keg, you know. Um, it's the reason that there's love handles on his love boat. It's the reason that there's not as much hair growing on his head anymore, but more hair growing in other places that he has a hard time keeping control of. It happens to everyone. Age happens to everybody. Ladies, it happens to you as well. We, you get older and things start happening, and that's why you, you struggle with cellulite as you get older. Those twin fawns become twin falls at some point. It happens. Child, childbirth, nursing, stretch marks, all those things go into the whole process. And age happens to every one of us. You do your best. You do your best to keep yourself in shape and attractive for your spouse. But just know it happens. You're not going to stop it. No one's found the fountain of youth. And so there's no place in your marriage for disparaging comments about your spouse's body. That safety and trust has to be there. If you want the marriage to be, and, and, the, and you want physical intimacy to be satisfying and stimulating. And I'm telling you, it has to be a place of trust. It has to be a safe place. God designed sex to be emotional. He designed it to be satisfying and stimulating. But he also designed it to be set apart. To be set apart. See, the Bible uses the word holy. And that's what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. That God designed a sexual intimacy in a relationship. He designed it in such a specific way. And it, it, is, it is intended by God to be uh, utilized in a very specific um, arena, in a very specific time. Here's what he says, uh, Solomon says in verse 12, he says, You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What is he saying? He's saying you are a virgin and you saved yourself to this time to this wedding night. And then listen, I get it. I get it. We live in the 21st century. And any talk about, you know, saving yourself for marriage, all that stuff is outdated, antiquated. I understand that. I understand that the mindset is more so you got to experiment with things to see if you're even compatible, you know, to see if those things go well. You know, that's why a lot of times people live together just to see if we can, you know, we're compatible together and things like that. There's a mindset that says, you know, I want to practice makes perfect, you know. I want to be ready for that, you know, special someone. And so I'm just, you know, experimenting to see what things to do and how to do it better and all those kinds of things. Listen, I understand all of that. But what you have to understand is that God has said there is a specific way to do this. And if you do it in this particular way, not only is it going to be incredible, but it will save you a lot of heartache and pain and regret from doing it some other way. See, in the, in the marriage, and that's where God intended for this to happen, 
in the marriage, God intended for marriage to be a covenant. Now, oftentimes today, marriage is viewed as like a contract. But God didn't intend it for it to be a contract. He intended for it to be a covenant. The difference is this. In a, in a contract, you know, contract, we know what contracts are. And contracts are, are, are there to keep two parties to doing what they're supposed to do. They're used as leverage. You know, you're supposed to do this, 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 and I'm going to hold you to this, this, and this, and you can never do this, and I'm going to hold you to that. That's a contract. And contracts can be broken. Sometimes they're very painful to break, but they can be broken. See, a covenant is altogether different. In the marriage, two people make a covenant with each other and God. And a covenant is not easily broken. And a covenant is, is a vow to say, regardless of what you ever do, I'm going to do all of these things because I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to God. And I'm going to do these things. And that's why you see language like in marriages and the vows, you see language like till death do us part or for as long as we both shall live. Now, when you go and, and I know you don't have time to do this, why I did it, to do research on covenants and, 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 and biblical times and what covenants really were. And what you, what you begin to see is that in those times, there was a lot of warfare. There were a lot of people coming against each other. There was a lot of famine in the lands. And so two different tribes or two different groups or people would make covenants with each other. And the strongest of these covenants was a blood covenant. Because blood, and it still is today, is a universal symbol of life. Without blood, no life. And so they would make blood covenants because it was the strongest kind of covenant. And what they would do is they would come together and they would take some animals. And they would cut those animals in half. And they would place both halves of those animals on either side of a ravine. And the blood from those animals would run down into the ravine and they would go down the hill to form a little pool of blood down at the bottom. They would stand at one end of those animals and they would make their promises or their pledges. They would, they would state their terms. I'm going to do this and you guys will do this and we'll provide this and you guys provide this. And they would exchange a token of some sort to say, when I give you this, it means from now on, you know, if I give you this staff, it means that you know that I'm, I'm with you and blah, 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 whatever. They would then walk through those animal halves, so through the blood, and they would get to the other end and they would look at each other and say, if I ever break this covenant that we've made today, may you do to me what we've done to these animals. It was a blood covenant. It was the strongest covenant that could be made. Now, what most people don't understand is that that's the same kind of covenant that happens in marriage. You see, when you go to a, a wedding ceremony and you show up and, and you're at a church or wherever, the first, the first thing you're asked when you walk in the door by the ushers is, are you here for the groom or are you here for the bride? And, and naturally, they form two sides, groom and bride, and there's an aisle in the middle. Now, what most people don't understand, that that's called the blood aisle. And what this couple will then do is they'll come up onto a stage and they'll make their pledges to each other, their promises to each other, good times and bad, sickness and health, rich and poor. They'll make the promises. Then they'll exchange a token. And that token is typically a, a ring. And a ring is an unending circle, just like the vows they're making. The vows we're making today, there's no end to it. Just like this ring, there's no end to it. And then they walk together down this blood aisle. And then they go then to consummate the marriage. And it's interesting that God has actually designed the lady 
to bleed the first time that she has intercourse. In that way, consummating the blood, uh, the blood oath, the blood covenant that was made during that wedding ceremony. It's a blood covenant that's made. It's not easily broken. It's something that God views as very holy, very set apart. Now, you can understand, see, a lot of times in our world, we don't get that. We see it more as a contract. In fact, we see anything that we do sexually outside of marriage is just something we do physically. And our primary concern is to make sure that we experience no physical repercussions. You know, as long as there are no physical consequences, then I'm okay. So the physical consequences, as long as she doesn't get pregnant, there's not an STD of some sort or something like that, or we don't get caught or whatever the, the deal is. And our primary concern are the physical consequences that we might incur. But there's a reason that other places in the Scripture, like the Apostle Paul talks about, that there's consequences for all kinds of sin and all kinds of things we do wrong. But the consequences for sexual sin, the consequences for sex outside of the confines of marriage, the consequences for those are well beyond what you experience with anything else. That's why people feel so much regret and so much guilt when they've given themselves away in such a way. Much more than anything else we do. Because there's something else tied to it. They never see the covenant in God's eyes of what happens. Which is why in Genesis chapter 2, and we read some of these verses last week. But in Genesis chapter 2 is why we read this. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. See those two independent people became one. They created something that wasn't in existence before. They became one flesh. And it says... And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed or embarrassed. You see, in God's eyes, when that covenant is formed and the pledges are made and the, the vows and the tokens are given and they go and they, they, they seal the deal in the marriage bed and it's consummated and they become one flesh in that moment. They can be naked physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually. In every way, naked and not embarrassed and not ashamed. And that's the way God designed that marriage covenant to be. And so when you talk about living outside of that, and I get it. It's not the way it's viewed today. That's antiquated. That's old school thinking. And while our culture tells us you need to satisfy your urges. You don't want to be the only one not doing this. Everybody else is having a blast. Everybody else is having a good time. Why would you keep that from, from yourself? God sits back and says, Listen, I know. I know this culture says that sex will satisfy your urges. But I'm, I'm telling you, I want to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and your soul. And if you'll do this my way, see, God's not sitting back saying, no, 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 no. He's sitting back saying, wait, 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 wait. Because what you will experience will be unbelievable. And yes, it is, it is stimulating. It is satisfying in every conceivable way. It's pleasurable. It's fun. But it is intensely spiritual. And when it's done my way, it creates something 
that this world cannot compare to. But outside of that, man, it just creates all kinds of problems and all kinds of pain and all kinds of regret. Solomon wraps up and he says, You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Wow, holy shnikes, that's in the Bible. God says, man, this, this, you have no idea how intensely pleasurable I've designed this to be. And it can be. But it needs to be done my way. I know a little bit more about it than you are the culture. Now, you might sit back and say, well, all right, well, what if I've already done that? I mean, what if we're living together right now? We're not married. Or what if I've been having sex with other people for a while? How's that ever going to change? I've already been there. What's the hope that I have? I mean, do, am I just damaged goods now? Here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that, that God is the only person that can make things pure again. He's the only one that can cleanse and make things holy and pure and set apart. And the great thing about God is that he initiated maybe the greatest blood covenant that this world has ever known. When he allowed his son to come into this world and give his life, shed his own blood so that we could be a new creature, a new creation. That the things of our life in the, in the past, they're old things now because everything has become brand new. He shed his blood so that we don't have to. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus to be our Savior, he comes in and changes everything. And that blood covenant can make you brand new. No, physically, you're, you're, you're not a virgin. But spiritually, God sees you that way. And you say, well, what difference does that make? That's just semantics. I'm telling you, it makes a world of difference. You see, on our wedding night, mine and Trina, about 28 plus years ago, she looked at me and she said, Scott, I've saved myself for you in this night. And it broke my heart to not be able to say that to her. And she already knew that. But it's still, it was a dagger that I felt deepest part of my soul. That I didn't wait. I didn't save myself. Now, I'd given my life to Christ, and he had changed my life. He had created a, a purity within my life. But I knew physically I hadn't saved myself. But I knew I was forgiven. And I knew God could take our relationship and make it everything he wanted it to be. But I know that there's still baggage that I carry into the relationship. It hurt. And then when my oldest son, Preston, came to me when he was about 16, and he was dating, and he said, Dad, were you a virgin when you got married? And I'm faced with the choice. Do, <laughs> am I going to be honest with him? Or am I just going to keep telling him the things I think he needs to do? I was honest with him. 
I said, no, I wasn't. And I said, telling your mom that I didn't save myself for was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I said, Preston, I don't want you to ever have to do that. And I said, what you don't understand, I said, because the world right now is telling you that, you, you know, practice makes perfect. And you don't want to show up on your wedding night and act like some novice and just fumble through everything. And I said, Preston, I can promise you in this area of life, the person you're with, don't mind, they don't mind you at all fumbling through things as a novice. They would rather know you were inexperienced and well-versed in the subject, okay? And I said, there's something about intimacy. Whereas in other things in life, the more you do it, the better you get. There's something about intimacy that the more you do it, the more it just erodes your capacity to be intimate with one person. And I said, I carried into our relationship a lot of bags. And I don't want you to go into your relationship, into your marriage someday with a whole bunch of suitcases attached. You have to trust me on this and just t do what I'm telling you to do. Don't follow my lead. And I'm just telling you, if you're here today, and you've given yourself away, but you're not married, God can change your heart. He can change your life. And he can take what you feel like was a mess up, and he can make it something beautiful and new. But you have to surrender over to him, and you have to say, as antiquated as we might think this is in the 21st century, maybe you do know something more than we do. And maybe there's something better about waiting and not just continue to do it my way. God designed it. He knows a little bit about it. And I think he would love nothing more than for your sex life and your marriage to be as fulfilling as he designed for it to be. And that's my prayer for you as couples today. Let me pray for us, okay?